The Natural Man podcast is intended as general information for educational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice or a diagnosis of any kind or as a substitute for medical treatment. The information provided in this podcast is not meant to replace the advice of or treatment by any physician. Do not rely upon any information to replace consultations or advice received by qualified health professionals regarding your own specific situation. If you suspect that you have a medical problem, you are urged to seek competent medical help. The Natural Man podcast and its representatives and agents disclaim any liability for any negative or other medical or other outcomes that may occur as a result of acting on or not acting on any information contained in the podcast. The views and opinions expressed by the host and all guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast and at the website of The Natural Man Podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent and does not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of The Natural Man Podcast. This is The Natural Man Podcast. Welcome to it. This is The Natural Man Podcast. My name is Mike C. This is an exploration of holistic health, wellness, and strategies to best optimize our bodies and our overall well-being. And today I'm particularly excited because we have a returning guest. Um, We had him on our last episode and we just didn't finish the conversation. We were just diving into so many interesting areas. And so we wanted to continue the conversation. So he was kind enough to come back. Um, He's an independent filmmaker. He's a content creator a radio host, a producer, an on-camera acting teacher, and one of the best in the biz, and and his client roster speaks for itself. Um, He spent many decades pioneering the Artivani approach to acting. And uh, as I said, he's worked with some of the top talent in Hollywood and worldwide. And he's also used these strategies that he's taught actors in the arts to apply them to personal issues like PTSD. And we're going to dive back into this conversation. Please welcome Tom Artivani. Tom, thanks so much for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's, uh, it is a deep well, so lots to explore if we care to dive in. Absolutely. You know, we talked about different things when you were here last, and I wanted to continue the conversation because um, I just felt like there was uh, more places we could explore because, as you said, this is such a deep well. Um, you mentioned in a previous conversation we had the observer. Um, we all have an observer inside of us. So can you define for us who the observer is in all of us and and how does one develop and strengthen their observer? That's really a wonderful launching point here. And for, First of all, I want to say thank you for, for this platform. Um, it would be fun to interview you and just to get a sense as to your purpose with this uh heartfelt share that you do through this podcast it's uh um health and you know how we can be better and how we can uh, get the most out of our moment-to-moment existence through basic common sense a lot of the time that we're not just common sense is not common all the time so appreciate the the platform that you're putting out there for people and, and the attempt at um, well thank you man improving our lives through, through, through media, through medium, you know, it's not, it's a very nice thing for you to do. It's uh, um, uh, when we start to pose the question as to how to be better. Um, it's good to know that we have aspects of ourselves that we probably haven't developed to its their fullest degree. And so, when you mention uh, the observer in what we teach, it's important for the artist and for the behavioral artist to 
develop this observer because in that respect it's that's what makes the artist is that this is an individual that has figured out how to be a part of the environments that they are um, mining for their creative inspiration so for the artist they have a very strong observer that they've spent time developing whether they've been cognizant of it or not right there's an aspect of them that allows them to get out of their own way long enough to receive the objective reality of whatever medium that they're creating in and and to be and to be able to exist in it without obstructing it so that they can get a sense as to the truth of what's happening and so the observer is is an aspect of ourselves that is the antithesis of action it is the yin to the yang it is the ability to be as opposed to not to be and so uh, one of the wonderful exercises that we have in developing this observer is to try to observe our body's breathing without obstructing the natural rhythms of our breath right because the mind wants to get in there and control things uh and so this very simplistic exercise uh renders in a tremendous result relative to an individual's perspective of their moment-to-moment -moment existence and and of whatever it is that they're a party to and so <laughs> I challenge the audience to just even take a breath and to observe your own body's natural rhythms right here, right now, and to see if you can keep your mind from obstructing and getting in there and having an opinion of, oh, I should be breathing through the nose and out through the mouth. No, I should just be breathing in the mouth. No, I should just be breathing through the nose. No, it should be a deeper breath. Oh my God, my breath is shallower. I need to be, make it deeper. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we start to control it with our our breath with our minds as opposed to simply having the ability just to let it be what it is yeah and then it's and then it's not natural anymore <laughs> so what happens is is what happens at that point we observe we obstruct a natural process and so um but as we humble ourselves to this to this uh, realization that we are obstructing the greatest things in our lives with our preconceived notions and our biases it is due to the fact that we haven't developed this aspect of ourselves and so uh, it's very humbling to realize that every, with every space that potentially somebody walks into they are obstructing it and projecting their own innate biases and limitations into the space as opposed to being able to enter into a space and be in it without having an obstructive opinion about it or a positive opinion or any opinion, but just to be able to be in the space. And what that allows the person to do is to harmonize between themselves and the actual energies moving around them. And so when this observer becomes fully developed, there's uh, the potential of peace at any given moment that that individual chooses yeah and and hence developing the observer as opposed to letting the obstructor take control of absolutely every aspect of our lives with old ideas that we project into spaces that limit our relationships limit our ability to learn from actually what's happening to be able to pick up on 
the changing environment around us, which doesn't then allow us to adapt appropriately. And so you can see how important that piece of the puzzle is. So you started off with a hell of a doozy of a question. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like from what I grasp from how you define the observer and how, how we've discussed it, um, it sounds like sometimes the observer can be our worst enemy. And, and there's a certain self-mastery that has to take place to... Um, you know, I, th I think you just said to train that observer or to develop that observer to not be our enemy. But that sounds like a huge challenge for some people because we we can't always get outside of our heads. I've been guilty of this in the past many times, and I still battle that. Um, sometimes it's hard to get out of your own head. Is it not? Well, it's, well, it's interesting, uh, even the phrasing, the observer definitely is not the enemy. But the the observer is the... Uh, proper use of your sensory apparatus to assess the truth. And so without the observer, um, truth cannot be known. So when you start looking at um, what the truth brings or what having the ability to be in a space as opposed to need to change the space or to impose one's will upon the space, the opposite of that is to harmonize with the space. And so it's an egoless existence within an environment that allows us to see what is. Now, this word ego has to be defined to a huge degree, but in this particular case, the observer is the egoless aspect of ourselves that we use to navigate the world around us. And that's, and that's really important to develop if you want to be, especially when we're talking about uh, mental health or we're talking about harmonizing and balancing and gaining perspective so that we can discern the difference between the improper use of our imagination, which brings anxiety and fear and apprehension, <clears throat> and the proper use of our imaginations, which can then serve to take the truthful observation, and then from there make choices that serve a means to an end in the best way possible. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that cool? Because for, for the artist, like especially in, in, in the field that I, that I love, uh, actors are asked to assess the circumstances of the particular character that they have to bring to life. And so in order to do that, they have to empathize with these characters and put themselves in the back seat, but inject themselves through the eyes of the characters out into the world that the writer has created and hence create a firsthand pseudo experience for themselves to give them insight into knowing what choices to make. So for the artist that has that ability they're able to uh, understand their their responsibility to it take themselves out of the equation in order to take on somebody else's challenge so the observer allows us to begin to take these journeys which you know i hope i hope what i just tried to iterate uh 
I'm not sure how clear it is to somebody that's not an actor or somebody who's not an artist uh, how to define that. But to be is um, an active participation that allows all things to be experienced simultaneously. And in that lay the truth of circumstances. And so if we're here to do something, to achieve something, with that understanding, our choices are better. So look at the look at the contrary scenario. Like the contrary scenario is let's say I enter the space <clears throat> and I'm coming into it with a preconceived notion or a bias. And then from that perspective, I make choices. Oops. Now my tendency to err is gonna be a hundred times greater from that perspective than it would be from the other perspective. I come in with a, like a filter projected into a space, I'm not getting the objective reality or the truth of what's actually happening in that space because I've brought my own perspective into it initially. But if I enter into a space and become a part of the space, from that place I can make choices based on what's actually happening, not through a veil of preconceived notion, which would then make my choices less um, accurate. And so if you look at that, just that, and you look at the difference between a, a good athlete and a great athlete, the great athlete is able to receive more objective information, hence their choices are better, and they're able to adapt more accurately to the changing environment than somebody coming in with a preconceived notion as to what should happen or was supposed to happen <clears throat> or what I preconceived to have happen. It's kind of like going into, uh, if you could use the boxing analogy, right? You go, uh, you, uh, you go into the gym and you, and, you, and you practice a series of punches, right? And then you go into, and then you have a fight, an actual fight, and you think, well, if I go into the ring and I just throw my combinations, I'm going to get some sort of a result. Well, the reality is, is that those combinations are not going to serve you because you best be aligned with that environment and tuned into your opponent so that you can adapt and throw what's appropriate, not what you preconceived yeah. in your training. Yeah. No two matches <laughs> would be the same. So preconceived notion. Right. So what you're... It's, it's absurd to think that I, I'm just going to go into the ring and throw my combination yeah. and, and score a knockout. I have to be able to adapt, feel, sense, and throw what's appropriate and adapt to the truth of what's happening. Not come in with a preconceived notion with blinders on thinking, well, if I just project what I did into practice into yeah. the ring, somehow it's going to work. And so in that you see this uh how the observer is the assessor of the truth where i'm a part of the environment not injecting myself so i can get a clear picture as to what's to happen and from through that place i make my choices and adapt and begin to take action it, it almost strikes me as an exercise in self-awareness does that 
Does that resonate, or do you think I'm off base there? That's, that's absolutely, that's that, like you and I here right now. I mean, if this is going to be a good interview, I'm going to not lose my uh, sense of you. I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to try to limit my own thoughts and try to take in what you're suggesting to me and, and, and stay out of my own way as much as possible so that it can land in some truthful aspect of myself and I can give you, hopefully from a truth, truthful place, a place where I'm attempting to be present and to share with you uh, this extraordinary process that allows people to harmonize within whatever environment that they find themselves in. Yeah. Like you and I could be examples of are we out of our own way? Are we not out of our own way? Like, how much dynamic connection can we make with each other in order to entertain our audiences with the information that we're giving and sharing? And is there a truthful share? Am I full of shit? Am I projecting my <laughs> old ideas into this situation? Or am yeah. I thinking on my feet, putting the pieces together uh, and, and um, in an attempt to clarify something for somebody else that might want to try something new to add to what they already have going on in their lives you know so everything applies to us too because we're here we are trying to understand and to share yep. and to leave impact definitely um triggers are something that comes up a lot in the respect with respect to ptsd and obviously if somebody's trying to cope with this kind of condition or this, this state of mind, obviously triggers are important to identify because, you know, once a person identifies them, what do you think from this angle is the next step in the healing process? Do you think triggers apply to this approach? It's funny, like uh, the modern day society as a so psychology society um, has removed the word trigger from their, from their, <laughs> Uh, word bank and they call it uh, activations <laughs> call, oh I didn't know that they call triggers activations I didn't know that isn't that interesting because the it is very interesting because even to use the word trigger triggers people <laughs> oh right it's true so <laughs> what was your question relative to triggers <laughs> <laughs> that's okay no um, so triggers triggers are something that comes up when somebody's dealing with this condition in a lot of scenarios. So, you know, once a person identifies these triggers, triggers are what creates these, these difficult emotions that people struggle to cope with. So, you know, what's the next step in the healing process once they identify these triggers? What, what's it? Um, gosh, really, really um, important question because the, the trigger itself is rooted in some experience, right? Something that happened to somebody right. at some point in time. Something that uh, left a deep imprint upon them emotionally, right? And so what happens is, is that within the dualistic rational mind, when a parallel feeling pops up uh, around the individual, that associates that current experience with a with a past trauma, we get this triggered experience that sends 
people into a tailspin um, back into their imaginations that triggers yeah. probably some fight or flight response which is really really feels very real and very can be violent in terms of reactive yeah being reactive when one loses perspective of the space that they're actually in and they've lost the objective reality and their relationship to the space and this extraordinarily powerful thing that we have called the mind yeah. takes over and and it becomes an, like an isolated like a movie in a movie house where it's, it's happening in the movie house but nothing is actually occurring around the individual to to rationally perceive them to be you know what's going on with you yeah they're reliving um, that past trauma over and over they're, again they're re reliving that past trauma and so when we go back to your first question which is what is the observer you can you can tell that that very first question that you asked how important it is relative to healing the next thing that you just asked because if an individual can discern the difference and align themselves objectively with the space that they're actually existing in then what are the odds of being triggered they go down tremendously right because now i have an objective sense as to what's actually happening not what i imagine is happening and i'm not able to project what i imagine is happening into this space because i'm aligned with it i can i can assess the truth of yeah. what's here right now so the, the the solution to your triggers is in your first question in developing the observer um when we and these are very these things feel very real to the people that it, it's happening to and and ptsd you know we usually associate yeah. that with military right but it's not military As a matter of fact the majority of people suffering with ptsd is just yeah people witnessing a car crash or like like uh we watch we witnessed uh darian had um Damar Hamlin drop yeah. drop on a football field. That created a lot of PTSD Abs yeah. for a lot of people. They're going to be thinking about that, who, especially the people that were right there. A lot of the players are dealing with that powerful experience that unfolded with them, and they're having a hard time putting that behind them. And so uh, PTSD is an individual who has an opportunity to learn something about them and overcoming the past. And that's the beautiful thing about any challenge. I don't want to come up here to be insensitive to the, to, the, to the actual suffering, but if I'm suffering with it and I realize that, whoa, this is something that is getting in the way of my life, it's getting in the way of my work, it's getting in the way of my relationships, it's, get, it's just obstructing my ability to, to take the next step, then we have to take personal responsibility to understand what it is to develop the observer and to understand how to properly use our imagination. And then from that perspective of taking that responsibility, strengthening our and cultivating our presence, right? Learning to get out of our own way with this thing we begin we can begin to 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 get 
control of our lives again. And so, <laughs> it's a fragile balance, but we have to understand that we have tools innately within us to deal with anything that happens to us. And there's so many examples of people. You can go to military, you know, you've got guys that are blown up by IEDs, you know, just completely dissembled, just completely blown apart. And here they are existing, you know, with one arm and a torso wheeling around there. And somehow these sons of guns have adapted. They've adapted. And that gives you an interesting indication that we have the ability to perceive circumstance in such a way to strengthen ourselves to a degree in which we were not before the event happened. So this is something that uh, uh, when we look at <laughs> the ridiculousness of the art of acting, you know, a lot of people don't respect this particular craft, but on the highest of ends, with the people that have done the most work that we respect the most, they hold within their process the solution to this particular problem. Because the actor seeks triggers. The actor looks around and assesses themselves and their history and their past in order to gain a perspective on what's happening with somebody else represented in a script. And we, as actors, because we're asked to recreate and shape the moments for our productions, have to understand something about ourselves and seek the fire that most people are trying to put out. And so, as behavioral artists, we're, we're, we play with the fire. And so, in order to play with fire, we have to be enlightened to a certain degree in order to have that perspective. Because we're looking to modify and change our perspectives in order to create the illusion for an audience that we're somebody that they perceive us to be. We're creating the illusion of imaginary circumstances for an audience. Creating an illusion based on choices and understandings that we have. And so when you reverse engineer character development or the actor's process, you see within there the opportunities to um, not only um, uh, we're not we're not we're looking for the triggers we're looking for the heat we're looking for the disturbance we're looking for that trigger so that when we magnetize our spaces and action is called and we're existing in a green room with no actual practicals to react to or respond to and we're creating an environment around us that is magnetized to gives us that gives us a reactive moment to create the illusion of something that's being represented by a bunch of cgi genius brilliant people that are creating this fabulous environment that's surrounding us we're able to do that take after take we're able to create this illusion of this tragedy or this bliss or this uh, action adventure situation because of our ability to perceive so if i'm a person that does not want to perceive that any longer just as an actor gets on to the next role we let it go we cultivate our presence, which means we give evaluation to what's happening right here, right now. This relationship between myself and the space and the world around me is 
prim primary, uno number one uh, responsibility. Because that what does what does that allow me to do? If I'm an actor, I get 15, 20 opportunities a week. I'm jumping in the shoes of a freaking psychotic maniac murderer. I'm jumping into this. I'm jumping into the shoes of a, you know, a a, a, a desperate man who's, that uh, has lost his family. I'm stepping into the shoes of like craziness. Whatever these writers come up with, whatever I'm asked to bring to life for them and to take on and to understand and to receive. Once I do it, I'm doing that through the present. Hence, it allows me to get on to the next tragedy I have to take on and empathize with and then go in there and, and uh, execute my choices, boil down my choices into the essential elements that creates their illusion for them. And guess what? Walk into another room and yeah. create another maniac for them. But what allows me to, what allows the artist to maintain their sanity is the fact that they have proper relationship to the objective reality of the space they're creating and hence never lose their proper perspective as to who they actually are in relation to the moment. And so if you say, how do we get beyond our, our traumatic moments, we have to evolve to the point that we put a valuation on the truth of what's happening right here, right now in order to keep everything in perspective. And the moment that I lose that, and I begin, I get stuck in an idea, and I begin to project that, those bi innate biases into the spaces that I walk into, I've now lost perspective. And now I'm going to start suffering with a mental imbalance. And so, developing the observer... It all comes back to that. ...is key. Yeah. Learning how to get out of one's way. We also rephrase it in that particular perspective. How do we get out of our own way? In other words, how do I not hold a grudge against my neighbor? How do I not hold a grudge against the ex-wife? How do I not hold a grudge against the guy that cut me off in the street? How do I, how do I not carry something from work back home with me? hence torturing my family? How do I not torture my production by carrying what's happening at home onto the set? How do I, how do I, where's, where does my perspective have to be in order for me to be optimal? How do I realize my potential? And so a lot of times when you deal with, you know, and I've dealt with so many people that I've had neuroses and imbalances and for some reason being an actor attracts really fucked up people i have no idea why because if you're fucked up you do not want to be an actor <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why they think because you know the characters in the movies maybe look all whacked out and so hence hey i'm whacked out i can i understand that i could go play the joker you know i could be a joaquin phoenix i'm as up as he is whereas Joaquin Phoenix is an artist to the core to the bones that he has to know himself completely in order to allow himself to, to create those illusions for us and that's an evolved human and so he knows who he is and then there are moments where an artist will lose themselves and you and we read about that in the tabloids we read about the 
the artist that had to check himself in the moment shooting was over. And I think he was one of those after he did Johnny Cash, I think. But you see the level of commitment, but in no way does this individual forget the fact that they are an actor and they are, in order for them to really, you know, appreciate their lives and to adapt to the ridiculousness that's asked of them, that they have to keep the objective reality and their proper relationship to the space and to the world unfolding around them. Otherwise, yeah. we all lose our minds. And that, that objective reality is just, it's something we just presume is always there. And you used an, a, a very thought-provoking word when you were describing this earlier. You said harmonizing. And just harmonizing our existence, harmonizing our reality. I'll speak as somebody, I'll be transparent here, and I shared it in our very first episode um, the past trauma I experienced with my cardiovascular issues. You don't know you're dealing with this until you just find yourself in it. It just happens, I think. This is my experience. I'm not going to speak for others. But you just go through life. You live your life. And these traumatic things can happen to an individual. And then you just begin to relive them. And you don't... It's almost like you don't... You can't delineate reality from your imagination running wild. It all feels like reality. And that's what's so traumatic is you're reliving that over and over again. Does that make sense? And I think that's why this is such a bear of a condition for people to deal with because it's it's elusive. You just find yourself in it. You don't slip into it. It's not like a cold where you wake up and sneeze. Oh, you know, I got a cold. I'm not going into work today, whatever it is. But this just sneaks up on you. And you don't, I think for me, I didn't realize it until I was in it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. No, I, I, and what you're describing, and we can go through this, I mean, because the artist, especially the, what we are, is what a, what, a, what, a, what a director directs and what an actor acts are moments of realization and discovery. And when we start to understand the sequencing and our, the programming of our ebbing and flowing perception, it's at that point that we can observe the blending of the imagination with the world around us and the world around us in relation to the imagination and then separate those two. And it's just like, um, it's our, our, like whatever's happening within me is blending with my ability to adapt with whatever is happening around me. Right. And, but there's not really an education that, well, in what I've been teaching, there's an education in it, but there's has, there's not a formal education in terms of understanding our perception for some reason. I don't know why it's simple enough to teach. Uh, I'm not sure why. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe to have us confused and on our heels and vulnerable as people is beneficial to somebody, but I, it's certainly not beneficial to the person. And so uh, the artist has to be able to separate these things. They have to understand the difference between fantasy and reality. They have to understand the difference between taking action and projecting an idea. They have to understand within the context of a piece of material, the major moments of when the character realizes something and the major moments when the character discovers something. And so the behavioral artist on the highest end understands how to play around with these elements and hence 
maintain their own perspective. Um, and so the exercise, you know, the fundamentals of this artistry also carry over into the art of living. But your first fundamental is to get out of your own way and to be able to cultivate presence. So cultivating presence is an interesting perspective for anybody that wants to get the most out of their life. Because let's say we enter, like hopefully, like even entering into this interview with you, if I maintain my presence with you, by the time I get to the end of the interview, I would have cultivated more presence, hence having more wisdom, hence having a greater sense of who I am in relation to my space. Hence, having cultivated presence. And that's how I can tell if my head was in the right place during an activity, because I'll come out of it enlightened and charged, as opposed to coming out of it frustrated and depleted. And so, well, cultivating presence, hey, what a great skill to have, right? If I go to work in the morning, hope by the time I get to the end of my, my work cycle, I would have been more enlightened than when I, than the day before. Hence, the day would have proceeded uh, for a purpose, beyond the task that I'm being paid to do. I'm improving myself. And so there's no, it's not an accident that we call it the work. When we talk about acting, the work that the actor does, we call it the work. Well, the work is not the task. The work is the quality of you in relation to the environment. It's that shift that makes it the work, because at that point, you are at the best that you can be in that environment, in whatever remedial or complicated task that you've been asked to do that you get paid to do. And so, oh my goodness. So for the actor, it's not even an option. The actor has to be ready all the time, like military. You have to be ready all the time. Uh, dancer, voiceover artist, uh, performing artist, we're ready all the time. And the only way to be ready is to keep the quality of our relationship with the space harmonized and to take that responsibility. Because each day that goes by, we become more refined more refined, more refined, and more refined, and hence have deeper insights and understandings in not into not only into our job, but who we are in relation to the world around us. That skill that the artist has is a skill that everybody ideally could have. And then hence we would destroy and kick the shit out of this mental health issue that we have in this country, which is just rampant at this point in time. But there's not a valuation put on that level of serenity or, gosh, do I just feel like society is working against the very common sense thing that I just suggested. And so, but the artist has to have it. And once they don't know how to get out of their way and begin to cultivate the presence, then all of a sudden they're able to maintain their presence opposite let's say an A-lister on top of their game. You guys will look like you belong in the same frame because what that A-lister has over the civilian is that they're working several months out of the year and their job says, hey, if you don't enter into the frame present, you're going to lose your audience. 
and you will not be an A-lister on top of your game. So they've learned where they have to be. They've learned how to live in their lives. They've learned how to maintain this element that is very intangible, but measurable. It's a magnetism. Presence, an individual that has spent their life being present, standing next to somebody who has not, is immediately evident because we experience the person that's magnetized. We do not get drawn to or attracted to the individual that is not. And by nature, if you look at the reason why that is, is because that person who cultivate presence has spent more time in relation, proper relationship to the environment than the other person. So who are you going to follow? The person that's paid a lot of time understanding their environment and knows who they are in relation to it, or somebody who's just stuck in their heads, uh, uh, confused between what's happening here and what's actually happening there. And so the artist develops that first. And then what they develop secondarily that naturally arises out of that is the ability to sense the space that they're actually existing in. In other words, we begin to tune into the shifting, not just what we think, but what we feel and experience is happening around us. And we're able to activate our presence through that space. Okay, wow, what does that mean? Well, what's the difference between Wayne Gretzky and everybody else? The guy was six foot, 175 pounds. What made him so darn special relative to the other guy? Why was he so much better? Well, he was able to sense his space. He was existing energetically and can predict and kept track of what was happening around him. And he appeared to have eyes behind it in the back of his head. But because it wasn't that, it was his intimate relationship with that environment that he was existing in that allowed him to be so effective. And so let's carry that over into our greatest basketball, greatest golf, golf, oh my God, right? Uh, any performing artist, the Cirque du Soleil people, uh, any any dancer on any level, a ballerina, a great voiceover person, a great actor, they're all they've all arrived at a similar place relative to cultivating their presence and hence are in their potential attuned to this space in a way that a person that can't discern the difference between the objective reality and their imagination cannot. And so what happens when we sense space is something that's very important. Very important for anybody interested in realizing their potential or staying out of their head or avoiding a trigger, right? Is to be able to sense the space. And why do we sense space as humans? Why do animals sense space? Why do, why do certain animals, when, you, when, when their natural inclination, when you set them free, do they do this perimeter thing? Do they run around in this perimeter checking out everything that's going on within that environment. They want to understand the environment, right? Which is preparing them to what? Survive in that environment to know where things are. So our ability to sense and to be in a space, sensing the space is in preparation to do something, in preparation to take action. So as people, this is what we do. The most successful ones do it. We exist in the environments to get a sense of what's going on around us in order to prepare ourselves for action. 
Now, these sequences and are all natural and can be observed in a myriad of different organisms, right? Not only in ourselves, but especially when you look at the success of a species or the ones that are at the top of the food chain, what they do and how they manage their circumstances, and this is how they do it. And so if you're looking at finding harmony or finding mental health or finding or footing, these are the same paths, same tracks that have been traveled by anybody that's seen the light in this lifetime. They've gone down the same road. They've evolved to a certain degree, which means culti having cultivated their presence, which gives them innate wisdom, access to wisdom and insight, right? And, they, and that's cultivated through right effort. And through that right effort, it gives them the ability to sense their environments, right? In preparation to what? Take action. Look at our, primor, uh, our, our primitive man. The action that they were taking was seek hunting and seeking and finding food and foraging, being attuned to the environment in that way, sensing the space in order to, in preparation for action, in order to feed oneself, in order to shelter oneself, in order to... Uh, give yourself the greatest opportunity to survive in those environments and those that DNA that did not have the ability to be present went away rather quickly mm -hmm. because nature is extremely unforgiving when you lose your proper relationship to yeah. it yeah yeah survival of the fittest right right and so you look at you look at the basic tools of what is action What's human action? What's human perspective? What's, how, what is the ebbing and flowing between our imaginations and the world around us? And so this is a blending and an ebbing and a flowing. It's like we breathe, we breathe air, right? And we don't yeah. use all the air. Yeah. We use an ass part of the air. And then when we exhale, we release, you know, whatever else. And then, you know, 90, 87% of the air. So... Same with our sensory perception. What we're able to receive sensorially, we only manage to cognizantly get to a, just a small fraction of what it is that we're actually receiving sensorially. So we are the sensory monster continually receiving tons of information in preparation for what? To take action. Yeah, and sometimes people put up walls to hinder their recovery. They're not happy in what they're dealing with. At least I don't think so. It hasn't, it wasn't pleasant for me. Why do you think they put those walls up? What do you think that is? Well, it's, it's advantageous to be a victim in this particular society. You get love when you feel bad. You think it's a comfort? I think it's a comfort from, it's a trained, it's a trained habit that from the time that we're young, that if we get attention when we hurt ourselves, then it hasn't stopped. It, it, to this day, there's such a high value put on the biggest victim. Now, if we're looking at healing aspects of it. So if you look at even somebody from with a victim mentality, eventually that's going to catch up with them. Eventually it's going to take them down the wrong. Eventually they'll sink themselves with it. But in the short run, it can, it can be beneficial. But not in the long run. Long run, people, people, there's a new victim just right around the corner with a worse story than you. But it works in the short run. It's a short run. It's like 15 minutes of fame. What's your story? Right? 15 minutes of fame. But if you're talking about 
in a, in a, in in the in the primitive world that I'm talking about, how long do you think that person would last out yeah. in the woods with that attitude? Yeah, right. How long would you think? Yeah. I don't. It I don't won't know. be so. It won't be. It won't be too long. It's a scary thought. It's a scary. Like thought. if you if you're sitting there sulking when you should be out hunting, and if you're sitting there sulking while you should be looking for a water source, or if you're sitting there sulking as you walk right into a bear cave because you're not paying attention to what's going on around you, you're locked into this thing that's cycling around in your head that's probably saying to you, hey, if the cycle's much more, nature's going to hit delete on your ass. If you stay here much longer, nature will hit delete. But if we're looking at understanding and, and, and the tools of perception, and so here's... Here's something that everybody can do to give themselves a real appreciation for this blending process, this ebbing and flowing and how we project and how we perceive and how we, how we manifest our, 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 our words and uh, the things that we put a valuation on. Realizations and discoveries, and everybody can observe this. And one of the ex one of the very powerful exercises that our behavioral artists get is to be able to sit. The homework that they get is to sit, observe, get present, align themselves with the space that they're in, and then monitor their ebbing and flowing perception, noting that when they're in their heads processing and thinking information, they're in their imaginations, and noting when their attention gets pulled back out into the world around them. And then noting something that they identify. Oh, look, it's uh, a <laughs> the damn hummingbird. <laughs> and then taking that hummingbird and that discovery and noting that possibly you go into your imagination, you start thinking about hummingbirds and then you're you come to the realization oh my god i got to fill the hummingbird feeder that's a realization and then noting when you hear something and somebody's calling your name or something or the phone buzzes and you turn and you look and now you're back out into the world around you and then you identify who called you you discover who called you and you say oh joe called me great and then you reflect upon joe back into your imagination as the mind starts to to roll over Joe and you're like, oh, you realize, oh God, Joe owes me money into a realization. And so what happens is when we can slow it down to this degree, you realize we go from in to out into the world around us into discovery or a series of discoveries. And then we take those discoveries, we take them back into our imaginations and we process. And then we out of that, we may have a realization. But note, this pattern and what this does is it gives you an innate understanding about not only how your mechanism is working so you do that for yourself and then what you do uh if you're one of my behavioral artists uh you'll observe it in others you'll watch the ebbing and flowing of their perception and then if you're one of my artists you're also then going back to the script and taking that journey through the eyes of the character in direct uh, interaction with the character's major moments of realization and discovery. 
But most importantly, you begin to understand that you're this perceiving machine that makes its discoveries, you process information, you take it in. Very important exercise. I encourage everybody to take the time to do that exercise. The, the next thing that you were, we're actually uh, locking into is a thing called marking time. And this is another exercise. An extraordinary exercise that I, I think you know it should be taught, taught to fifth graders in order to, to, you know, how nice is it to have a sense as to why we do things? How nice is it to be able to actually discern the difference between a bullshit intent and one that's actually real? How important is it for us to be able to create our own experiences without life having to bonk us over the head to have one? How nice would it be to take responsibility for that? And so for, <laughs> so nice, right? I mean, a lot of times we just leave this up to, to the whims of the universe and we're dictated to by our governments, our communities, our husbands, our wives, uh, our, you know, whatever it is, we're, we're just dictated to and we, at that point, we, we act. But as, a, but as a human, we have the beautiful responsibility of being able to take responsibility for our actions and to understand our actions. And so many society these days, look at how we just make it all okay. We just make it all okay. And somehow we're at the mercy of something else. We're at the mercy of being addicted to this drug or that drug. We're at, the, we're at the mercy of accepting whatever's given to us, right? Without understanding what our options are. And so, in relation to that one exercise of re re realization and discovery, observing our, the human moments that are creating. So that's what realizations and discoveries come down to, you know? That's like, wow, like, real time comes down to how I perceive it and what I do with it. Right? So ebbing and flowing between realizations and discoveries is how we create time for ourselves. That, that's just mind-bogglingly awesome to kind of have a perspective on, especially if you're a civilian. As an artist, as a behavioral artist, that's what we do as a filmmaker. We, we, we capture these moments of realization and discovery that our artists are creating for us based on the blueprint of the script. That's what we do on the highest of ends, right? And our editors take it and assemble these moments. But as humans, we're having them. But marking time is the, is the, is the next thing that... Uh, marking time is like, is equivalent to uh, having an awesome experience and remembering it. But marking time is taking any moment and making it relevant any moment, like this moment right here with us, like you and I, like we, we can mark this time. And we're marking it through the experience of creating content, right? So for us, when we go away from this, maybe we'll have, we would have been impacted by it, maybe. Or maybe we just get on with our day and it just goes away. That would be a shame. But if we really want to mark time in this time for you and I, I would stop and I would go, wow, what's happening inside my body right now? Like what, what's happening 
objectively right here not what not what my mind is telling me but what's happening inside of my body what's the truth of what's happening here we're making realizations and discoveries right now right now right now right, right now but yeah. but if i want to mark time this is the next level so and we can mark any time because as actors we have to mark the time in the script but we take this time and i and i ask myself honestly and i check in with myself and i say what's happening right here right now i invite anybody that's listening to to take the time to do it to take a breath and to get present and to try to not let the mind dictate what's happening but to sit without the mind and to assess what's happening here and then give it a label and i'm kind of excited i'm i got i think i have a little adrenal going wow look at that i didn't know that so i got that so i, I kind of note that for myself and that's the truth of what's happening in this moment at 10 15 a.m pacific daytime here in la quinta california that's what's happening with my body right now and uh and once i identify that i i ask myself another really extraordinary question and that's what what do i want what what do i like what right in this moment like what is it that i most want for myself not in relation to somebody else but what is the, what do i want what do i need to be doing here what do i want which is something i don't have what you want is something you don't have and that's note to self but I could say, God, I'm feeling this. What I want is to I want to be optimally effective. Right? And so I'll just note that. I want to be effective. Which means there's something in me that feels like I'm not. Okay? There's a, there's a truism there. And so I have to balance that. Because if that's what I want, that's something I don't have. So out of what it is that I want, that I don't have, arises the action that I need to take. And we want that action to be to heal. Okay, there you go. Right? There you go. So the action that I want you to feel, I want, well, I want to be effective in my relationship with you. Let's say this because this is what I'm doing. What, what, how do I need to make you feel in order for me to feel effective? I want you to feel uh, confident in what I'm saying, let's say. All right, now I have a very specific dynamic relationship with you that I'm going to, I'm innately embarking on this journey so that I can eventually attain what it is that I want. And so I'm... <laughs> make you feel confident in what I'm saying <laughs> right and if I fail at that I will suffer consequences and if I succeeded that I'll I'll reap benefits I'll feel I'll feel fulfilled itself and so in this moment I've created a marked time for myself and with this information this is where the artistry comes in this is where the poet comes in uh, with this information, I'm able to make pastime present. In other words, tomorrow I can return to this origin of action, which is the tool that we're using to mark time, and recreate something similar to what we're experiencing right here, right now. Now, but, but tomorrow I'll remember this. 
because with mark time just like uh, something they say special happened yesterday or the day before and you know, I, rem I remembered it because it was an eventful moment that came together it was a confluence of energy and and then there i was but now because i conscientiously did this little thing with you i'm far more aware and can take more responsibility for the quality of what moves through me i love it but you know what i don't love we're out of time we're out of time <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to be chasing you to come back here because uh, it's fun talking to you and uh, I, I never get enough of our conversations so um, Tom thanks for being here uh, really appreciate it and I think these are a lot of important realities for people to to acknowledge and grasp and because innately we're just thinkers animals are doers Humans are thinkers. And so sometimes all that thinking just becomes a barrier. And I think that's where a lot of this comes from. Um, so it's awesome how you've merged your mastery of the arts to create strategies for people to overcome this using those strategies. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you look at it, it's like it, it's a lot of thinking and not, not, not a lot of thinking, but a lot of sensing and a lot of a type of an effort that causes us to pay attention in a different way. Yeah. But listen, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Like, like I said, you're doing a really wonderful service and, and uh, all the people that I'm sure that you have on the show are contributing to, in, in the hopes of contributing to people's well-being and, and to give them a, 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 ba a voice and a platform to share their secrets because I think everybody yeah. has their tech techniques and their tactics and how they get through their day and how they optimize themselves. So really cool what you're doing. Thank you. Cool, man. Thank you. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Natural Man podcast. Subscribe to us and check us out on our website. We try to put up a new episode every two weeks on Monday. That's the goal right now. We're at naturalmanpodcast.com. Uh, my name is Mike C. Until next time, stay healthy. This has been the Natural Man Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast for more episodes. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. 
Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.